that you can read along with this. So Psalm 37, first eight verses read like this, the Psalm of David. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and weather as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your just justice as the noonday. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who brings wicked schemes, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. So perhaps uh, Psalm 37 maybe is familiar to some of you. I know personally for me, it's one of my favorite psalms that I read. And it is a psalm. It's a psalm of David. And it is a psalm, as you've seen three times that what we just read, is written to those who fret. And so you could say it's written to fretters. And, and, and verse 1 begins with do not fret. So that word fret, it means don't get heated, you know, don't, don't get all worked up. And I think if we were going to be real honest with ourselves, we would have to say from there are times when all of us, we just kind of fret. If you were to ask my wife, you know, is your husband a fretter? I, she would probably say, yeah, there's at times where he really is. I, um, you know, the Lord is still working in my heart on those things. I, for 30, almost 30 years, you know, 25 years here in Greeley, I think some of you know, I was responsible whenever it snowed to get the schools open. And so I had about 35 sites. You know, it was important that we uh, make it safe for 17,000 kids that would come. And, and for a couple thousand students, we had a lot of places that we had to clean up. So when a storm would come, a snowstorm, um, I, I just you know, I had trouble with that. I, I just fretted. I would read the, the weather reports and study it and see when it was going to snow. I would have about 20 people I'd have to call up. So, that, you know, the night that it would snow, I'd be pacing the house and looking out the window. And, and you know, it kind of wore, uh, you know, the family down too. I would fret four days before a storm came. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it was. And, and so... You know, it started affecting the house and all of that. But, you know, Psalm 37, when you look at it, it's written to bring perspective to an issue that's a lot more important than the snow, than the weather. And he says there in, in verse 1 again, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. And so we see that it's written for, to us to bring wisdom and perspective perspective to those who fret over a particular issue. And that issue is of evildoers, evildoers who get notice and who seem to prosper in what they do. And um, it seems that they're doing so well, they got it so easy. And let's be honest. You know, we look at our communities and we look at our nation and we look at the evil around the world and we get very concerned, don't we? And we can even get heated and we can get worked up. 
You know, we've always had evil in this world, haven't we? We've always had that. But it just seems that man has come up with more ways to do it. You know, I like, I like Micah's description in Micah 2 of an evildoer. He says, there are those who desire iniquity and work out evil in their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and take them by violence and houses, they seize them. So they oppress a man in his house and man in his inheritance. Pastor Jeff has been going through the uh, second Timothy, some of the last words that Timothy would write. And we're going to see, he's in chapter two, as he gets into chapter three, that chapter three starts out with, but know this, that in the last day, perilous times will come for men will be, and he starts to give a list. And so I'm not going to go through that list because Pastor Jeff will be going that in a couple of weeks, but he starts to give descriptions, you know, of what men will be like in the last days. You know, they're going to be unloving and, and boastful and disobedient and they, they're not self, they don't have any self-control. And on and on he starts the list. And then a few verses later down in that chapter, he says this. He says, and evil men will what? Go away? No. Evil men will what? Eh, they won't be so bad. He doesn't say that. He, sees, he says, evil men will what? Get worse and worse. And so we see as Christians, there's a lot of wrong and darkness in our communities. We see how those who will profit off of, you know, just doing so much harm, they benefit financially off of sin. You know, the entertainment world, look at the entertainment world. They make billions of dollars making movies that are so violent and pornography, cranking out movies that make sin and darkness look like they're real glamorous. And we could go on and on. The intellectual elite that we have in this country, those who think that they're, you know, they know better than us, they, they've changed our culture. And what they've done is, is they call what is good evil and what is evil good. And we see also those that hack into people's lives and they steal their wealth and their identity and their dignity. And you know the hard thing about that? You don't even know where they're at. You can't even see them. We have government officials, particularly on the federal level, who have, you know, they're more interested in serving themselves than they are the people that they're supposed to represent. The geopolitical situation that we have in our country. And I, you know, I think about it, just think in two weeks, we're going to be in a new year. It's going to be an election year. And I think about that and I'm just, my head wants to explode, you know? When we see those things, this morning, I didn't even, you know, listen to the news. I put on Christmas songs, you know, on the way over here. The only problem was is the first song that came on is let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. And I kind of got a little <laughs> threatened a little bit by that. <laughs> so what do I do? What do I do? How do I get my perspective back in order? And Psalm 37 tells us that. And let me tell you, Psalm 37 is a great psalm to read before you watch the news or listen to it or read it. 
And we know it's a psalm. It's written by David when he was an old man. We know this because if you're a note taker, note verse 25. Verse 25, David says, I have been young and now am old. And, you know, this is the case for some of us. I guess I can say, start to say that now. You know, I was young and now I'm old. You know, the pictures prove it. Becca and I were looking at some pictures. We've been married 34 years. We were looking at some pictures recently of, of when we were first married. I mean, we were young. We were, you know, early 20s and mid-20s, and we're looking at them, and Becca's going, you know what? Boy, we've really changed through the years, haven't we? And me being a smart aleck, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I think I look the same. And she's going, okay, dear. Yeah, you looked almost 60 back then, you know. <laughs> so, you know, the, the pictures tell us. So David writes this as an old man. And this psalm is also written as an acrostic psalm. And what is an acrostic psalm? Well, it means it's alphabetical. So every other verse starts with the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So in the first verse, you, the first word begins with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then verse 3, you know, the first word starts with the second letter and so on. And so this is a pattern that we see um, that continues through the whole psalm. And the reason that some psalms were written as a crossbook, you know, and we know that the Holy Spirit is behind David as he writes this, but they would uh, have some of these psalms would be written this way, and it was for the purpose of memorizing. And so you have this psalm that is written to be memorized in one's life. So when we face evil on this side of heaven, this psalm would be in the storehouse of our hearts and be brought to remembrance. And it's also a psalm to bring us wisdom. So before we watch the evening news, before we see this frantic world, we can get a right view and wisdom from these verses. Now remember, David has seen a lot, hasn't he? He's seen a lot in his life, and, and he's kind of like the older spiritual father. And he comes to, to us, and it's like he's putting his arms around our shoulder, and he takes us on a walk, and he instructs us how to live our lives with the wickedness that is around us. And as we start a new year in just two weeks, I think this is a real timely lesson for us. And I don't know about you, but... You know, I could use, sure use this as we come into the 2020. So here's David. What is this that I don't do? Well, I don't fret. And what is it that I do? And we're going to be looking at four things that we do. We trust, we delight, we commit, and we rest. So what we're seeing in this psalm is kind of, is a journey and we're, we're going to have a journey from verse 1 where we're fretting to verse 7 where we have rest. And let me tell you, it isn't easy to make that journey sometimes because we do get concerned, don't we? And you know what? We should be concerned, shouldn't we? We should have concern of the things that are going on. But David doesn't have this attitude of, you know, like, don't worry, be happy, and, uh, you know, just turn your back on everything, turn a blind eye, go up in the hills and just get lost or whatever. What he is telling us and what he's instructing us, it is those who perhaps, when our concern turns into fuming and a continuing worry, and we get extremely heated, 
And it starts to affect our life in a real negative way. And what we're doing is we get our eyes off the Lord and we get it fixed on those who are doing evil. And we stay continually worked up all the time. And it affects our attitude and our continence, our speech and our conversations. I mean, look at verse 8 there. You know, he's telling us, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It causes harm. So when it, you know, when it starts to cause harmful, when it's harmful to our walk. So there needs to be this journey from verse 1 to where we're fitting to, to verse 7. And again, it's not easy. You know, you've heard the, perhaps the story of the guy who, you know, he has ulcers and goes see psychiatrists and goes see doctors. And he finally decides that he's going to hire somebody to worry for him. And so people, you know, he does that. And people start to see that, you know, he, he's different. He's, he's relieved. He's happy. You know, and so they come up and say, something must have happened to you. You know, you're... Your, your whole continence is better. You're so much better. And so what's going on? He says, well, I'm, see that guy over there? I'm paying him to worry for me. What? Yeah, that guy over there, he worries for me 24-7. Well, how much does that cost you? $10,000 a week. What? $10,000 a week? You can't afford that. Well, that's his worry. So... <laughs> Verse 1, don't fret. And he also says, as you look at verse 2, he says that, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and where there is the green herb. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. And so it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy to continually be worked up. And what it does is it gets in the path of, and it gets in the way of faith. So the Lord says, don't be envious of those who are evildoers. Don't get worked up. The Lord says that their destiny is in place. They're not going to get away with it. There's no injustice in the balance of eternity. So don't be envious. Don't be envious of what they have. Because you might be thinking, why would I be envious of evildoers? Well, we might be envious of what they, kind of how they live, can't we? I mean, we can do that. You know, we get up, we go to work, we work hard, try to live an honest life, and we see the knucklehead that, that we see doing evil that he hasn't made, that he doesn't have to do any work, he has it easy, he's got everything he wants. And so, you know, he just, we can be envious. You know, Asaph in Psalm 73, he would say this, the evildoers aren't plagued like other men. They have more than their hearts could wish. My feet almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So sometimes our hearts can feel that way. So the Lord, David says here, don't be envious. They're not getting in the way with it. And they're going to soon be cut down like the grass that withers. That's what we see in verse 2. You know, in one of the sites that I used to take care of, we, we, for erosion controls, had a side of a hill where we used to grow brome grass. And that brome grass, come the end of February, you would start to see it come up a little green. And come March, it would look really good. And April and May, it would look really, really good. But once June came, 
that it would start to weather. And by the time it was um, July, it was all brown. You know, we just kind of cut it down. That's the picture that David is trying to give us. It's like that grass that just weathers. Its season is up. It's all going to be over for those who are evildoers. So David, he's one that says, don't do this. Don't fret. Don't be envious of them. That's the negative. But the thing that I appreciate about David so much is he just doesn't leave us there. And he brings more clarity and wisdom to us. And he does that in verses 3 through 7. And giving us now those four positive things that we are to do. Four things that bring us back into focus of who God is and what we are to be about. To trust and delight and commit and rest in the Lord. So we see there in verse 3, that first do that we're going to do. Don't be envious, but verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And so don't fret. Trust in the Lord and do good. We've trusted when we believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring us salvation. So now what we are ones that walk by faith and not by sight. So David reminds us that what God wants us to do is he does a work in us. So we trust God. And we know that God is worthy of our trust. He never lies. He never fails. He fulfills his promises. You know, on Tuesday nights, we've been going with the men through the book of Joshua. It's been a great study. And the thing that I love about the book of Joshua, that it gives us pictures, pictures that we can relate to, to our Christian lives and to our Christian walk. And in that, we've been seeing that here in, in opens up the book of Joshua. Moses is dead. Joshua is now going to be leading the children of Israel. And, and so he's, they're on the east side of the Jordan River, and they need to cross over. And in chapter one, before that, you know, when they're there, it's the Lord that said, Joshua, you be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage, he tells them. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, or in other words, scripture. That's what the book of the law means. Scripture, don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Observe it and do it all according to that is written. And then when you do that, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to have good success. And I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And so now you're on, you know, you get to chapter 3. Here you have 2 million people on the east side of the Jordan River. Jericho's on the other side. The thing is that it's harvest time and the river's flooded. It's over a half mile wide. You look at the Jordan River now, right now it's, not very wide if you saw the Israel pictures, huh? But then during the harvest time, during the flood season, it can get over a half mile wide. So here's this river in front of them that they are crossed. They told, they're told to cross it. The Lord says, Joshua, today you're going to cross over. That river's flowing pretty good. But Joshua would trust God in that. He would trust God. And he would, you know, he would say also, Children to the children of Israel, today we're going to cross over. And, and, and the Lord is not going to fail for us to drive out the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all the other rites that we're going to drive out. And so he would get the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, and they would step into the Jordan River, and the river would stop. 
And here, not only did you have Joshua trusting the Lord, you had the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant trusting the Lord, and you had to have two million people that trusted to cross that river too, and they would cross over. The Lord would dam up that Jordan River. Oh, it was 20 miles up where he dammed it, we're told, and they would cross over on, on dry land. It's a great picture of our lives, aren't we? As we go into the promised land, as we go into rest, there's still going to be battles, isn't there? Still going to be giants to take care of, walls that have to come down in our lives. But we step in and God, we may be sitting there going, how are you going to work? I know Joshua was. How are you going to work? And God was working 20 miles up river. He does that sometimes in our lives. We, we live by faith and not by sight. He might be doing a work in your life. It might be 20, 20 miles up river. But he does that. Psalm 89 tells us God is not a man that he should lie, that he should change his mind, does not speak and then not act. Does he promise and not fulfill? We know his plans are perfect. They are holy. They are righteous. And he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's a promise for you and me. So as we grow in his word, as we seek to know him more intimately through his word, we will see that he is worthy of our trust. And to know him is to trust him and to follow wholeheartedly him is to live in his promises. And then he says this, he says, do good, do good. I remember I had a guy come up in my office one time, nice guy, but he was just kind of really excited. He had listened to Grace FN. He wanted to talk about the, uh, the, the Lord coming back. So he wanted, came in, he wanted to talk to somebody about it. So he came in my office and for 45 minutes, he went on and on about, you know, um, this conspiracy and have you heard of this person and have you heard of that and the Lord is coming back very soon and this is going to happen. And, for, you know, finally after 45 minutes, I was kind of like, time out. I said, you know what, brother, I agree with you. Lord is going to come back and he's going to come back soon. That's what? That's what? Are you doing good? Have you been displaying love? Are you serving anyone? No. Are you going to church? Having fellowship with other Christians? Because if you're not, it's kind of hard to do, you know, serve others and love others. But we're supposed to be, have fellowship with, with the brethren. Are you doing any of those things? I like what Paul says in Romans 12. He says that we are supposed to be a living sacrifice, isn't he? That's our reasonable service. He starts out that wonderful chapter that starts the practical section in the book of Romans. And you get to chapter, or you get to verse 9 of chapter 12. And Paul starts to give, a, again, a list of, a long list of principles, very practical principles for living the Christian life. And when he gets to verse 9, what he does is he starts out with these three things. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Three very basic but important attitudes that he gives there. So we know that love is what? The greatest virtue of any Christian, right? It is always love. It is always love. And so we are to be ones that love. Then he says, hate what is evil. 
If you love God and you love others, you're going to hate evil. And it's kind of sometimes why we fret, isn't it? It's concerning. But also what he's saying is that we should hate uh, sin in our own lives as well. And we want to be ones that we don't want to mess around with that. We don't want to get close to the line of sin or worldly things. So he says, then he says, cling to what is good. It means to be stuck, to be glued to good things. Be cling to those things, he says. Um, be bonded. So what are we to be bonded to? What things? Well, he says in Philippians 4, 8, he says, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. So you want to have some peace? In the new year coming up, in the face of all the bad news, do good. Just do good. So trust in the Lord, do good. And then he says, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Back to Joshua. Book of Joshua gives us an incredible picture of that, dwelling in the land. See the children of Israel, the children of Joshua, they would go and they would take, um, take and defeat Jericho and the walls would come down and then they would go to Ai and they would defeat him there. And for seven years, Joshua and the children of Israel would have a military campaign and they would take control of the land is what they would do. And after seven years of, of fighting and battles and military uh, operations and stuff, they have control of the land. And so now Lord, the Lord instructs Joshua to start, to start uh, drawing lots and for the 12 tribes to take their territories. And, and so they would, you know, uh, draw lots to see where their territories would be and, and, and all of that. And not everything, you know, there was still some resistance in these areas, in these territories. They had control, but it was it's the tribe's responsibility, once they got their inheritance, what they, once they got their land allotted, to go into those areas and to do a mop-up, you know, drive out the remaining resistance. And so it was their responsibility to do that, to go in and take their inheritance. And again, it's a wonderful picture for us. You know, you know, they still, as they're in the promised land, they still had some giants. They still had a little bit of battle to do. And again, a picture of our lives. And remember that God has a wonderful plan for us. And he has territory for us to take that he's given you. And it's important for all of us to know the territory God has given us. You know, where's your place in the body of Christ? What is it that he wants you to do? And if your heart's desires to know his will, you can be sure that he's going to give you parameters. And he's going to give you boundaries that he has for you. And it's our responsibility to go in and to pursue and and to pray and to seek and draw close to the Lord, to wait on him and say, what territory, Lord, have you mapped out for that is mine? Help me to stay within it and be faithful in it that I might take all the territory that you have for me. 
So dwell in the land, he says, then feed on his faithfulness. Here, faithfulness is equated to God's word. God speaks never-ending truth. He's faithful to his word. So feed on it. Take it in. So trust in the Lord. Secondly, he says in verse 4, he says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And so delight yourself in the Lord. It just simply means to have a good time with him. Keep your mind on him. It speaks of abundance of the blessings that we have with the Lord. And we know that Ephesians 1.3 says this. It says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We, all, we have all of God's treasure. So not only are we trusting in him and that we live in his promises, but we also live in his blessings. And so if we're ones we're seeking to know him more, draw closer to him, so we live a life of obedience, we grow in his grace, draw closer to him. As we do that, you won't help but delight in him. And can I tell you something? Because there might be somebody out there that maybe struggles with this a little bit. But it's really okay to enjoy the Lord. It really is. Just enjoy him. You guys know that God's biggest desire for us is that we come to know him. He would tell the prophet Hosea, I want you to know me, and I want you to know me so intimately that you become like me. And he gives us his word and the spirit to do that. You know, I'm so glad that, that we have a pastor, Pastor Jeff, that is committed to give you God's word. And to teach you not only from the Bible, but teach you through the Bible. To give you the whole counsel of God. And, and we see as, as we're going through this word, you know, um, we know that doctrine and theology are important. That's why we go through the word. That's why Pastor Jeff takes you through it. It's an important thing. I would never say that it's not. But it's more as we go through scripture than just getting our doctrine and theology in place. Again, those are important. But God's word is going to take us deeper than that. It's going to take us deeper. It's going to take us to a place where Paul says that I know whom I believed. And that I may know him, not just about him. And Paul's desire was to have the mind of Christ. He would be consumed with God. See, that's where scripture is to take us. We live a life in wonder and in love. We live our Christian life in praise and love and obedience. That our Christian lives will display adoration and passion before God. And we grow deep, deeper into his truths and promises. And we see that they're for, true for us in our lives today. And you know what? We delight in him. And we want more of him. And the thing that excites us just isn't all about the theology and the doctrine the thing that's going to excite us in our Christian life is Jesus Christ himself. And so scripture, you know, he's going to give you the desires of your life. And as you're doing those things, you know what you do in your life? Do what you want. Just do what you want. He's going to give you the desires of your life. Scripture says he's going to give us the longings of our hearts. And you're going to know that his desires are going to become your desires. So David's not talking about, you know, I'd like to have that, 
you know, Toyota 4Runner, brand new. And so, you know, the, the faith teachers teach us, stick a picture up it on the refrigerator, you know. God will give you the desires of your heart. No. God says that his desire will be your desires. They'll begin to parallel as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He gives us our delight because he is our delight. So what is it that you want? I remember when Becca and I were first married a long time ago, and uh, we lived in Colorado Springs. God had placed on my heart to live in this area up in northern Colorado. And for seven years, I prayed for that. Seven years. And nothing was happening, but that was just a desire that I had. And finally, because God was doing a work in my heart during that time. And so finally, after seven years, I had a whole shoebox of rejection letters. Remember, you couldn't go online, so I'd get all these letters, and I kept them in a shoebox. I don't know why, but it was pretty full. And so I remember that I got a, a call, and they were looking for a horticulturist here in Greeley, school district. And so I came up, interviewed, had the worst interview of my life, took a test, did really crummy in it. The next day, they offered me the job. So... God will open up those opportunities for you. He places those things on your heart. And I remember Becca, she wasn't quite sure. She known I've been praying about it, been praying with me about it. She goes, can you call him up and, and see how much you're going to make? If we make a little bit more, I'm really on board with this. So I called him up. How much do I make? I made $1 more a month. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are loading the truck up and... and uh, you know, the, the kids, they were small. They're crying, and Becca's concerned, and my parents are crying, and her parents are crying. It was a great day, you know. We just, we load up and came because that was the desire of my heart. People ask, why are you an arborist? Because I like trees. <laughs> I like trees. And he's going to place those things on your heart. And he's, he has desires that he's going to give you. He wants to give you a fulfilled life. So you be one, says you seek the Lord. He's going to give you the desires of his heart. So don't fret. Do trust in the Lord. Secondly, delight in the Lord. Thirdly, he says here, that commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. So that word commit, it means to roll off. Roll off your burdens. If the weight and the burden of evildoers in this world is weighing you down, commit yourself to the Lord. Roll your burdens onto him. Trust in the Lord. Enjoy the Lord. Commit your way of life to the Lord. Pastor Jeff, again, he tells us staffs a lot of times, he says, we do our best and we commit the rest. And so we do our best. We, we give the heavy loads and burdens to him. And fretting over evil, again, you know, it can, can become burdensome and weary and becomes a heavy load. Keep rolling your concern, your cares, your problems on the Lord every day. I like what 1 Peter 1, 5, 6 says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him. So it's a matter of trust. And an attitude of trust. Trust in what? Trust in his care. So that you cast all your anxiety onto him. 
All your fretting goes to him because you know that he cares for you. Lord, it's been difficult to watch these, what's been going on. It's difficult to cast those cares. He's going to, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to delight in you. And I'm going to roll my trouble onto you because you really do care. I can't help to think, you know, of Psalm 55, 22, where it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So as we commit forth, your, as you and I commit forth our righteousness as light, you know, God fills the desires of our heart and the righteousness of a man or a woman of God is revealed, shining forth like light, like the new day sun. You know, when's the light the brightest? It's the brightest at noon. And we know as Christians, as believers, that in spite of the trouble that we're around, that we live in, that we are to have influence. That's what Jesus said. Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 8? He goes through all those blessings, you know. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek. This is what you are to look like if you, as part of my kingdom. You look like this. Poor in spirit, those who hunger for thirst and righteousness, who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. And then he says, then you're going to get persecuted. Blessed are those who get persecuted when evil men say all kinds of things about you, against you, because of my sake. And then he says this, then you're going to be salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God, your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has always called us to have influence, hasn't he? And that it would bring glory to him. And so we have a dark and a decadent world and a world that makes it hard for us. But in spite of the difficult, what is God's plan to deal with a dark and decaying world? His plan is you. You're the plan. And it's not going to be given to anybody else. It's not going to be given to our government leaders or to the intellectual elites or those who belong to the entertainment world. He uses us. Sometimes I say, plain old us, plain old ordinary us. But that's the way God's always done things, isn't it? I mean, he's always worked that way. You know, when I look at scripture, when he made man in the garden, he didn't use gold or silver, silver or even iron. He used dirt. <laughs> when he called David to deliver, to deliver the Israel from the Philistines, he didn't want Saul, you know, Saul who stood a head taller than everybody else, you know, the king. Didn't want all his massive armor. What he would use is a shepherd and a couple of stones. And when he entered the world, you know, he... You know, when he became flesh, it wasn't through wealthy or very noble families. He wasn't born in a castle. He chose a peasant girl in a stable. And when he chose the 12, he, he didn't choose the elite. He didn't choose the super educated, the affluent. He chose the plain old Galileas. Scripture tells us not many mighty, not many noble. He chooses you and he chooses us to influence the world. So go let your light shine, okay? Let your light shine. 
2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God, who first ordered the light to shine in the darkness, has flooded our hearts with his light. We can now enlighten men only because we can give them knowledge of the glory of God as we have seen it in the face of Jesus Christ. So you see, God is light, and he passes that light all the way to us. And that light is to be visible as the noonday. And so now we see finally, as David is advising us, he says, rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. The verb means to be silent, to be still. It describes calm surrender to the Lord. It seems like today we have a harder time tolerating silence and being still, isn't it? So being still, being silent or quiet before the Lord is something that Jesus did. He's our perfect example of that. We see his ministry began with, a 40 day, with 40 days of quietness in the wilderness. When he heard of that evil men, what evil men did to John the Baptist and chopping his head off, he withdrew, he withdrew to a quiet place. You know, after feeding the 5,000, what did Jesus do? You know, did he hang around and sign autographs, you know, go on a speaking tour? No, he went to the top of a mountain and he prayed in solitude. He would spend time alone to pray. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says to the, that group of believers, he encourages us to believer. He says that you aspire to live a quiet life. Lead a quiet life. What do you mean, leave a quiet life? What are you talking about, Paul? Shouldn't we be all over the place screaming and yelling and hollering and marching and protesting, doing whatever we have to do to wake somebody up? This is no inspire, or in other words, an effort to rest. Make an effort to relax. Be still before the Lord. He's not saying that you, keep, you have to keep your mouth shut and don't do anything. Then now and again for quiet is meaning relax, rest, keep your seat. So Christians are to live a quiet, relaxed, restful, peaceful life before God. There are times where we need to be still before the Lord. Resting in him. And we live in a culture where it's hard to do again. There's noise everywhere, distractions, all kinds of distractions everywhere. I know that when I uh, taught my, my son as a youth pastor, and um, I taught his high school group out, and I said, okay, there's probably a dozen of them. You know, get, get your Bibles, turn your Bibles to this. And every single one of them got their phones out. Now, I'm not against phone, so here are what I'm trying to say, because I use my phone to read the Bible, too. But what I encourage them to do, and I think it's, it's really for all of us here, was actually get, get the book, you know? Get the book, and the reason is because I look at mine, it's the same word that's on my phone or on my computers this is the Word of God. So, you know, it's not that I'm against those things, but here's the thing, and that I explained to those high school groups, that you need to be still before the Lord. You need to have that quiet time that you have. And what happens if you're looking at your phone, reading scripture, you're going through a devotion or something, and a text comes in? What are you going to do? You're going to look at the text. Phone rings. Maybe I just distract a lot easier. So I encourage them, go out, just get a book, leave the phone in the other room. You know, if you're in the park, leave it leave it somewhere else. We need to be still before the Lord, and sometimes it can just be hard to do that. 
We are to rest in the Lord, and we bring rest. He wants rest in the face of persecution for us and then in the face of evildoers and in the face of anticipation for the Lord's return. And see, here's the thing. If we're being still before the Lord, if we're hearing from him, if we're drawn close to him, then when it comes time for us to speak, when there is those times to do that, because we've been with the Lord, we're going to speak in wisdom. And when it's time to act, if we, um, you know, been before the Lord, if we've been in a place that we've done that, then we can be directed by the Lord. So he says, there's a time for stillness. Just be still before the Lord. That's so important that we do that. And then David, what he does is he adds this. He says, you know, um, be patient. Wait patiently for him. Just be patient. We're going to trust God to protect us. He has promised to faithfully take care of us, those who put his trust in him, so we can rest in the Lord. We can wait patiently for him. We don't have to be ones fretting and fearing that God has forgotten us or intends evil for us. And we're going to be silently and we quietly submit, resting in the goodness and the judgments of God. So do you feel better? <laughs> I hope so. Get our lives off to the things that are evil in this world. We're still concerned about them. Get them back onto the Lord. And then he just kind of wraps it up in verse 8, like we sit there, or the second half of verse 7. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. It only causes harm. So my prayer for you for this new year is to be ones that come before the Lord, that you can trust in him, that you can just bring your cares upon him, because it's going to be kind of crazy, isn't it? And here's the thing. As we're doing that, as we enter into a new year and we see the news and we see it and it keeps going on and the evil in this world, and here's another thing. No matter who gets elected next fall, no matter who it is, doesn't matter. I mean, of course we want certain people maybe that we vote for or whatever, but here's the thing. If the worst person that you can think of gets into the White House, you know what you get to do the next morning? You still get to be that light. You still get to be that one that wakes up in the morning to show people kindness and gentleness you get to be the one that gets to love people. And you still get to do those things. God is still going to be working for you. He's not going to be hiding it out and he's going to say, ah, I forget the whole thing. He's still going to desire to do a work with you. And so we can take rest in that and we can, you know, we can take comfort in that. So will you do that? And so be concerned. Know what's going on. But don't get to a place where you're fretting about it because that's so easy to do. And so... You know, we just, we've been blessed, haven't we? We've been blessed, and we're still here. And the Lord has something for us to do, doesn't he? He still has a plan for us. If not, he would have raptured us up already, right? And so we're still here. And so consider those things, trusting in the Lord. When you watch the evening news, if you're fretting, Read Psalm 37. I think it will help you, okay? So let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you.
We thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord. We know, Lord, that you are a God that keeps his promises. And, Lord, that we will be one one day when we will be all together with him and we will say, righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Righteous and true are your ways. That even though we have concerns, we don't have to get to a point where we're just really being, you know, have wrath and anger, where we're causing harm in our life, knowing that you are in control. I want to pray for everybody that is here tonight and for your people, Lord, that as we come and end this year and begin another year, Lord, that we would be mindful of the fact, Lord, and that we would desire to delight in you, that we would desire more of you, that we would desire to be still in those times where we need to be still, that we, Lord, would be ones that would um, just want to hear from you what you would have for us, what you would have for us to do our territory because you want something for each and every one of us and only that we can do. You have a plan for us. And Lord, may we get excited about those things. And in those days where we, you know, we do have trouble and I never want to make light of what people might be going through, I pray, Father, that we would feel more of your presence in our lives. Lord, that you would just give us words to speak, give us wisdom, give us direction in the way that we go because you promised to be a light to our path. I pray, Father, that we would be ones that would rest and that we would be able, to, because you are so good, to say that God is good and he's working. And we know, even though we see evildoers, we know that there are a lot of, you know, people that love you, that you have a remnant. And that we would see, you know, and enjoy the goodness that we have in our lives, the blessings that we have in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one, that you would bless the work of their hands, that you would bless their children and their families. I pray, Father, if there's somebody out there that doesn't know you, that, Lord, that they would come to know that you care for them as well and that you love them. And your desire for them is that they should come to salvation. And that they would come to know that they have fallen short because we all have. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of your requirement, which is perfection. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you impute his righteousness unto us as we come to the cross. And we come by faith and believe in the sacrifice of your son. And that if there's anybody out there, that they would just pray and they would just say in their hearts, Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. So I come desiring to be saved, desiring, Lord, to have right relationship with you. And I believe in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice on the cross and the blood that he shed was for me. And I want to be transformed. I want a relationship with you. And I want to have peace with God. And so I pray, Father, Lord, that if there's anybody out there that they would come up front or they would let us know, Lord. But again, for the rest of us, Father, you have what's best for us. So I pray as everybody goes their way that everybody would have a wonderful Christmas. Lord, you gave us a wonderful message. 
glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And as those shepherd boys would look upon that, that baby there, that they would praise God. May we praise God because you came, God, in human flesh to save us. So we got the very best already. So thank you, Lord. We just, again, praise you. We have so much to be thankful for. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please?